0: As we're continuing on in our conversation towards, uh, actually, yeah, students, you guys are free to go, but as we continue on in our series, we're talking about uh, freedom bound. We've been discussing a conversation about human freedom, especially Christian freedom, and how we, if we let that run amok, can run into a situation in which we um, actually don't have the freedoms that we think we do. If you can advance that slide, it's kind of stuck for me again for some reason. There, There we go. Whoa, we're way ahead. There we are. So... And what we're going to be doing is we're going to talk. Speaking of youth ministry, I was thinking about um, this topic we're going to be dealing with today and this issue that Paul brings up. And my experience in youth ministry, many, many years ago, it was, I had a situation in which we were dealing with uh, one particular student who did such a great job. He was evangelizing his friends. He was bringing them into church. The whole room, like half the room in the youth ministry was packed out with, with guys who would come in, dedicated for God, that's on fire, and they all wore black. We, in fact, we called them our men in black. It was kind of one of those fun. Connections and and so you had your, your 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 situation here. You got your your general normal high school students, these guys are all in the hardcore and stuff like that. And, and it was just making an influence into, into the youth ministry. And one of the moms, actually, one of my ex leaders, was sat me down uh, actually on a phone and kind of talked to me for an she didn't talk to me. She read me out for two hours on how black and black clothing is is evil and wrong and of the devil and the influence is bad. And, and all of you guys in black right now are going, what? What is wrong? No, it's not. But it was like a, one of those like serious conversations where I'm just like, okay, wow, this, this lady's really intense on this. I'm really upset, really focused and really di- just... Um, going after it, and we, I had to hang up and disagree, uh, agree to disagree with her, but uh, the bottom line is, it just reminded me again that uh, we as Christians, we can get a little, like, funky on some issues. Like, we get bent out of shape on some weird things sometimes. At the same time in youth ministry, we got into this huge conversation that there was this insidious evil that was floating through the Christian world and it was infecting our youth. In fact, it was leading them into darker and darker places. And I'm like, what is this? What is this? Linda's radio. And they're like, it's Harry Potter. And I'm like, whoa. That's, that's crazy, and, and it was such a huge backlash to the store the books and Harry Potter and what was going on. I mean there were literally people who were like it 's leading children to Wicca and witchcraft, and I, maybe that happened i don 't know i didn 't meet any in my in the youth group. none of the kids I saw that were reading the book. they were just enjoying the story and wanted the the cool school experience that was going on in there and as I was discussing this with students and trying to find out where they were, I found out we had, we had here at the school we'd banned it out of our library, no Harry Potter books were were in our in our school library, anywhere to be found. Yet at the same time, I was reading a second series that was popular at the time called A Series of Unfortunate Events. you heard of that? Is by a, a guy who uh, he said his name was Lemony Snicket. It was his pseudonym. And he was a clear... And what's interesting about him is a clear postmodern writer. He did not believe in, in story arcs. He did not believe in completing any of the stories. In fact, none of the stories are actually completed. And didn't really have an end, even though the last book's called The End. And what's interesting about it is he actually argues and and tries to tell you the church is an evil place throughout the books. He does it in different ways throughout the entire series. And, and those are found in our library. And I was like, this is so weird that on one side where we get all emotionally upset about the, the fake magic and the stuff and this fantasy world and this one, but we're okay with C.S. Lewis when he does it and Jared Tolkien, we love him. And, and then we get to Lemony Snicket and we're like, oh, no problem, no magic, no big deal. And I'm like, what is going on? This seems like we like to just pick debates. And I've met non-Christians and maybe you're one of them who goes like, yeah, the church gets been out of shape about the weirdest things, about the kind of music, about the kind of things you drink and what you eat. I just want to tell you guys, this isn't new. The church has been having these kind of conversations and arguments since the beginning. And in fact, what's interesting is as we dive into it, Paul was dealing with those kind of conversations and arguments. And in a desire that we would answer the prayer of this series, which is this prayer that we're saying, Father, grant us harmony that we may live live together in harmony. So that unified we may glorify you. This is the prayer that we're hoping to to see built out of this. And this comes by us learning that our freedoms that we have as Christians. We're free from the law. We're free from sin. But it must be bound appropriately for our love of others and our love of God. And that as we deal with these things, we see that this concept of of limiting our liberties out of our care for another person, of of keeping our freedoms at bay for the sake of loving God and loving another person, that all this collides in these smaller conversations that are not sin. In fact, we see here in Romans chapter 14 verse 1 is where we're going to pick up. And we're going to see this kind of a topic picked up and talked about by Paul. So grab your Bible, open it up to Romans 14 if you're not already there. If you need a Bible, they're available under the seat. You can pull it out, find it on page 948, and we can begin to kind of look at this together. Because what do we do about these topics that are in the Christian church and these arguments about uh, music styles and dress styles and honestly everything from alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. I mean, you got all this kind of stuff linked together. And we want to go, well, how does the church deal with this? In the ancient world, they had a similar situation, had a frustrating situation. In our current world, if you want to go get groceries, you go to the grocery store. You head on down to the Stater Brothers, the Vons, or whatever your your grocery store of choice is. And you walk down aisles and aisles of boxed and um, pre-processed foods. And if you really want some good meat, you go back to the butcher and you ask for that slice. And they chop it off and you get that filet wrapped up or whatever. And you take it home and you cook it and you eat it. Well, that wasn't possible in the ancient world. In the ancient world, when you lived in a city, instead of cooking, cutting up your own meat, you had to find somewhere because you didn't own your own animals to go find meat. You'd go down the various places, different streets, different merchants and different vendors where you'd purchase your, your stuff, but the meat was typically sold only in one location and that was where meat was most abundant, at the temples of foreign gods, And so you would come up, and if you were going to get something, you were going to purchase meat that was most likely offered in a temple ceremony to another god, whether it was Hecate, Zeus, you name it, Poseidon, uh, Aphrodite. um, There were all these different. They would take this animal and cut its throat, pour out its blood, if not bathe in the blood for the sake of these gods, and do different things. And then they would take that meat, they'd butcher it up, and sell it on the street for a profit. And this is what the idol temples did. Along comes a Christian who wants to go to his church service. And in the ancient world, in the church service, there would have been a big bunch of tables in a room and the church was small enough you would have a meal together. And you decided, I just got paid well. This is going to be great. I'm bringing filet mignon. You head on down to the temple's idol or the idol's temple and you would pick up some filet mignon and carry it and cook it and boom, present it at church right there on the table for everybody to enjoy. You can guess there were some people who were bugged by this. That's wrong. You can't offer food offered to an idol and eat it. That, 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 that's wrong. And there was a group of people who felt guilty and wrong for eating that. In fact, it was so clear because the Jewish people wouldn't eat any of that. They would eat, typically you would have, they were vegetarians when they lived in the city. And so there was this kind of debate as Christianity rolled in and people were like, well, I'm going to eat meat. It's okay. What do you do? How do you do this? And so Paul begins a journey with us right here in chapter 14. He says this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person only eats vegetables. Now, he starts off with this, that in order to understand the text, there are two groups that exist in the church, as Paul's laying it out, the strong and the weak. And so he lays this out as two different groups. There's the strong and the weak in the church. Now, the strong and the weak are defined primarily not by actions, but by conscience. And we need to make sure this is clear. Because the strong and the weak are a lot like my bicycle pump at home. I had a bicycle pump and I have four children. So these two things equate to what I'm about to illustrate. It worked great when I got it, and I'd pump my, my bike tires up and head on out, and it would be great. Um, and when we got more bikes, um, you know, different, different, temperature, uh, different PSI were needed. And so on the gauge for the PSI, it tells you where you're at, 40, 50, 32, whatever it is. Unfortunately, that gauge is now miscalibrated. It's broken. It's about 10 PSI too low in a sense. And so we were out, my wife, we bought her a brand new bike. We're excited. We're going to ride as a family. I get out there, I take the pump out. I'm pumping up her brand new tires and I'm right at where it's supposed to be. And I hear, Pss. I'm like, this pump is broken. You know, i got the I got the right PSI and it just popped. And so we had to take the bike back. We didn't get to go on our ride. Now the point was that that gauge is important because if it's not calibrated, right, it can, it, it causes problems. The strong, in Paul's explanation, is not like my bike pump. The strong has their conscience calibrated according to the word of God. They know what sin is. They don't cross sin. But they also know that the things that they engage in are not sinful. Even though to some in the church, what he calls the weak, think or feel for themselves it would be sin. Their, their conscience is calibrated to an overreaction to certain things that they would feel are sinful because they're wrong to them. They, they wouldn't eat the meat of the idol temples. They wouldn't dare drink the alcohol. They wouldn't get engaged with the rated R movie, that kind of stuff, out of conscience sake. And Paul defines one as strong, being that their faith is strong. They believe that God has cleansed these things. They're able to enter into these things, and it's not sin. And then there's the weak who, can be, can, who feel that there is sin for them. Their conscience is weak. And so that's what Paul is describing here. And in our culture, it doesn't change. We just have more issues now. Because most of these things that we're talking about are not sins. They're not evils. They're goods. But these goods are actually just not clearly defined in Scripture how we deal with them. You're not going to open your Bible and read, you shall not watch movies. You shall not watch, you shall only watch rated G movies. That's not in your Bible. You know, you will only dance the hokey pokey is not in the Bible. You're not going to find definite contextualized arguments for much of the stuff that we wrestle with in the Christian church over how are we, how we should or should not act. Now, Paul begins then and he really focuses us in and he says guys we need to have a focus on this cuz it's going to affect you we need to understand that there are gray areas let me give you one real strong illustration if you've ever, how many of you know a messianic Jewish person somebody who is a, a Christian that has a Jewish background okay um, a lot of messianic Jews choose to continue in their Jewish heritage and so they eat kosher laws we knew one of those his name was Rabbi Joseph he ran a messianic congregation and he was regularly invited and he'd come and teach and sing and he had an amazing voice and just a neat guy and um, so Pastor Ike who was the pastor at the time and friends with him had invited him over to his house they were sitting down they are going to have a meal and Sharon always would cook these this great uh, you know great meals She was a great cook. And so she's got this oven, thing in the oven. She pulls it out. She's all excited. She puts it down. And she's all talking to Rabbi Joseph. So excited. Pulls it out. And then she realizes that as she's pulling it out. She made some good old honey glazed ham. And sets it right in front of him. And she goes, I'm so sorry. Because I, I, he eats kosher. He doesn't eat ham. And she's like freaking out. And he's like, ah, it's no big deal. You Gentiles, you you eat the strangest things. You know, it's just kind of this conversation of like how things are different. This is real for us. These issues occur. You're going to sit down with somebody who doesn't drink alcohol and you're going to need to know what to do. We'll cover more of that next week. But you're going to sit down with somebody who's, who's not going to feel comfortable eating things that you're eating or whatever. And it's important because Paul wants to dive into this. So seeing that there's the strong and the weak, what do we do here? How do we work this? The strong and the weak are actually, again, to bind their own personal freedoms for the love of each other. We're going to apply that principle directly. And I believe that's what Paul is getting at here as he starts. He says, we'll just read it again. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But don't quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything while, we, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. And so he starts here. He says, guys, the strong and the weak need to bind themselves, hold themselves back for a second. If you're strong and your conscience is not defiled by eating the the food offered to idols, you don't despise and kick out those who who, who tell you that you're not supposed to eat it you imagine they they had set out this meat and in comes the, the guys who are called the weaker brothers and they see the meat on the table and they're like, what is this? And they're like, oh, these guys again. These guys always want to argue about the food on the table. You know what? Let's just have our own secret church meetings where we don't have to have them anymore. And really, that's what they were doing. Is, and he says, don't not welcome them. Bring them in. Don't despise them. And, it, and it's hard. If you, are, if you have a strong conscience or a strong freedom in your conscience and you like watching a movie and you've checked it out and you know there's not, you know, sexual content and stuff that's going to cause you to sin and stumble and your own and lust and do these things. And you're watching, this movie is like a great historical piece, but it's rated R and you've invited a friend and they're like, I can't watch rated R movies. I just don't do that. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Okay. Yeah, no problem. So you invite him out the next time. You're like, hey, the guys and I, were going down to BJ's. We're going to have some pizzas and maybe some beers and stuff. Um, I don't go into bars. I don't really do that. Okay. If you kept running into that resistance, after a while, you're just going to look at your friends and go, we're just not inviting him. So I'll just go do something together. And there's this desire to despise, to think lower because, oh, that guy can't do anything. I'm just so guilty all the time. I can't even hang out with him. He thinks, she thinks makeup is wrong. And what's her problem? We can despise them. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You don't get to despise. You don't get to push them out. You welcome them. They're part of your life. They're part of your family. You do not push them away. And it's very easy to be comfortable with our own kin kind of thing, our own kind. But he says, that's not how the church works. You guys don't get to despise. You don't get to push out. And at the same time, the weaker brother does not get to judge. And I'll be honest, this is the part where, where we have a trouble. We have trouble. We want, when you feel like something is sinful for you, then it ought to be sinful for everybody. And that's really what goes on. Notice how he says, let not the one who abstains, the weaker brother, pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Now, He tells the strong, welcome those people. He tells the weak, hey, don't judge them. God already welcomed them. In other words, don't judge they've been kicked out of the kingdom because they had a beer. Hey, just because they went and saw a movie doesn't mean they're evil and they're going to hell. Why are you judging their salvation over these actions that are not sin? What are you doing? In fact, he takes it on pretty seriously. He says, verse verse 4, continuing to talk to the weaker brother, he says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Is it before his own master that he stands? Is before his own master that he stands or falls? And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Let's do a, just a quick experiment didn't work too well first service either, but we'll try it again anyway. Take your finger real quick and just put it up like this. Now, if you can, point at God. You're like, where am I Okay, so some of you, have, one guy, one guy first service did this, and I'm like, what? You're claiming you're God. He's like, no, Holy Spirit. I'm like, okay, get it. But if you think you're God, if the fingers pointed at you and you think you're God, see a psychiatrist. The point is that none of us are God. We're not God. But if you're a Christian, you're God's servant. And we have no right to claim the person who is God's servant isn't God's servant. We don't get to sit here and we feel weak because... Or we, we, are, we feel guilty because we can't use the internet in a certain way. And we avoid the internet in, in certain fashions. And we see other people are free to use the internet all they want. And we go, well, they're just not Christians. They have cable TV. <laughs> they have all the television channels, all of them. <laughs> and we're sitting over here all judging. And, and They must not be Christians. That's the danger. He's saying no. What may be sin for you because of your conscience... It's not because it's been cleansed. These guys are, could have sat there and said, it's given over to idols. That's Apollo's meat. You're eating food given to demons. And you're bringing that to church? What are you thinking? You're sinning. You must not even be Christians. And he says, no, you don't have a right to do that. We don't have a right in areas that are clearly not defined, absolutely defined as sin, We have no right to judge. In fact, he goes on both of them in verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother, speaking to the weak? Or why do you despise your brother, speaking to the strong? For we will all stand before the judgment of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, right there, I think that should cause us all to swallow hard. All of us will find ourselves one day standing before Jesus to c- confessing you are Lord, but also confessing, in a sense, what our lives were about. We have to give an account, that text says. So be warned, Strong. If you feel like you have the freedom to drink, to drink alcohol and you have a freedom to smoke a cigar or you have the freedom to go see a radar movie, you have the freedom to listen to secular music, you have the freedom to put makeup on, or whatever it is for you, you're going to have to give an account for why. You're gonna have to give an account for your heart condition. You're gonna to have to give an account for your reason that you felt this that you're good. We all will have to give an account for our lives. We don't have to give an account to each other. We don't get to go up and say, "What's your heart condition about this one, buddy?" That's not what we get to do. God's gonna do that, and I think that's bad enough. Okay. And the same thing for the weak. If you feel like this is sin and you have scriptures that are showing you that it's not, but you just feel guilty, God's going to go, well, why are you doing that? Is this legalism? Are you putting a hedge around yourself to protect you in such a way like the Pharisees? I don't like that either. I don't want you running off into license. I don't want you running off into legalism. What's going on in your heart? And we're going to have to give an account to God. So let me put it this way. Know your Bibles. You're going to have to give an account to God about your behaviors and your actions in life. You better know your Bibles. You better be able to stand firm before God and understanding the scriptures and being able to explain why you did the actions that you did. And guess what? Yes, we're going to have to stand before God and he's going to ask us about things that we went against scripture and we're going to be like, that's sin. And we're going to be like, "Oh, oh, oh, and he's got the blood of Christ that covers us. And we're forgiven. Doesn't mean we run off and do whatever we want. That's not what this is saying. Sin is sin. This is a non sin issues. And we need to know what those are. We need to know the Bibles. Hey, Greg, just tell us, give us a list. No, there's too many. Trust me, we'll figure one, we'll figure it out. Uh, we got chairs in here, not pews. Oh, that's wrong. Heard that one. Carpet? No carpet. Stained glass, lights. You have too much humor in the sermon. Seriously, that has been attacked. Has there been pastors who have been attacked for being too humorous in their sermons? Uh, Trust me, we'll figure it out. There's no list. It's just too big. But what we do need to do though is we need to know how to deal with this. We're all gonna stand before the Lord. We're all gonna have to explain ourselves. We're all gonna have to know the scriptures well enough then. And the bottom line to me then is that no matter what you do, if you're free and no matter who you are, if you're weak or you're strong, You need to do whatever you do for the Lord. That's the principle Paul lays down for us finally. He says, whatever you do, you do it for the Lord. Notice this, verse 5. One person esteems one day better than another, while the other esteems all days alike. In this case, they were arguing over whether you should worship on Saturday or Sunday, or worship on Wednesday or Thursday. And he's like, it doesn't really matter. Somebody does this, somebody does that. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. There it is. Know your position and why you hold it. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. And he says, this is the principle that we should live with. We, we will see next week we should not violate conscience. We'll see next week there's a strong in the week and there's this whole interaction that needs to go on there. But what we need to start with before we get into all this stuff about who's, you know, when I stop and when I start and when I do. Whatever you do, whether you're weak or you're strong, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. I'll give you an example of how this works. The other day we were, on Friday, we were uh, doing a marriage um, rehearsal here at the church. And so we need to drop my kiddos off at my in-laws house and Nana and Papa's. And so kids got to go there. On our way there, we grabbed pizza and my wife and I hadn't really had much of, much of lunch. And, and so we were both really hungry and thank God there's 10 slices on Dahlia's large pizza. So that's two for each of the kids and two for us. And so we each took one and I took mine and I bit into it. And it was at that perfect temperature, not too hot where you burn the top of your mouth, not too cold that is it's cold pizza. And he just bite into it. And I purposely chewed slowly. Oh, the cheese and the tomato mixture and the wonderful, wonderful, blessed by Jesus pepperoni was just just melting in my mouth and I'm just sitting there. You know what I'm thinking in my head? God, thank you for blessing pork. Thank you, God. (laughs) for letting cheese and pork and tomatoes and, and bread be put together in this combination. And with scriptures rolling through my head, in the beginning, God created pizza and it was good. And I'm just, I'm totally like eat, enjoying this as we're driving. I'm just like, I'm not, I don't have my eyes shut, but I'm like just enjoying this, this pizza going, God, this is awesome. It was a worship experience. You ever think you could worship with pizza? It's awesome. We'll just pass out pizza next week. We'll just let the band have a rest. And we'll just sit here. Oh, God, you're all, you know, that's good stuff. (laughs) Band's like, hey, I like this idea. (laughs) But you can worship with this stuff as you give it to God. As you're reminded that that he has created this beautiful world, that everything that he has made is good. First Timothy chapter four, verse four, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving let me put it this way. A lot of us really think that the actual alcoholic thing is evil. The actual plant on the ground of tobacco is evil. We're like, evil? Why did God ever make that? It's evil. No, nothing is in and of itself evil, is what this is saying. The internet is not in and of itself evil. We are evil. And what we do with things is evil, but not the objects themselves what he has done is he's created it good and there are appropriate purposes and uses for these things in this world but we are the ones that cause the problem jesus made this very clear and they were sitting down to have a meal and the pharisees sitting around going they didn't wash their hands excuse me they didn't wash their hands they're eating with their hands dirty they're unclean before god They'd made up all these rules about hand washings, all this stuff to be clean before God. And Jesus looks at him and says, guys, guys, you're just putting too many rules on this. Do you not understand? And this is how he puts it in Mark 7. So then, then you are also without understanding. Do you not understand? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside can't defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. It's not the food that defiles you. It's not the stuff. And so he cleansed off, declared all foods clean like pizza. Pepperoni pizza. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. Then he goes on to list the things that come out of the heart sexual immorality, murder, wrath, strife, impatience, gossip. And he just has this list. It's the things of the heart that defile, it's the things of the heart that destroy. The internet in and of itself is not evil, but it can be used for great evil in the hands of humanity. Alcohol in and of itself is not evil, but used by humanity to cope and to deal with life creates addicts and destroys. There is a boundary line. There are things in this world that we must give over to God and limit our freedoms for the sake of knowing God and loving others. It's what comes out of us that is the defiling things. What comes out of us that causes the problem. So how do you and I watch a movie, eat particular food, read a book like Harry Potter or a series of unfortunate events, or how do we deal with secular music or you name it? The things that we've divided over, the things that we're frustrated about, how do you do that for the Lord? Well, I think it looks a lot like how I ate my pizza. It starts with invite the Lord and thank him for it. Notice what Paul says. He says, the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. In a sense, he's invited him in. He's invited him to the presence. Why do you pray before your meal? To bless the calories out, Greg. That's why. (laughs) No, so that you can actually literally invite the Lord to your meal that you're eating to him and for him. It's an opportunity for an expression of worship as a family, for an expression of worship together. It's an opportunity for you to enjoy what God has created in this world and give it up to him. But you have to invite him into it. You have to thank him for it. But how in our entertainment culture, in our fast food society, how quickly do we just go, boom, straight through something and we're on? We haven't savored it. We don't enjoy it. We don't watch it. We don't lift it to the Lord anymore. We just go. You watch a movie, and you consume a movie. We, we, we need to stop. And welcome the Lord in at the movie. Thank him that there's great stories still to be told, that there's wonderful scenes and struggles that we can work through. Now, I hope that you've monitored and checked your heart, making sure this isn't something you'll actually sin with. And that's where it comes next. Once you've invited the Lord in, you let his word guide your thinking and your experience. I'm eating the pizza. I'm thinking, God, I'm thinking about food laws and I'm thinking about the fact that he's made this stuff and what amazing thing it is to be made in the image of God that we're creative like this to make foods. You know, I have all this, yes, because I'm the pastor and we're thinking about this food. But when you're watching a movie, just shut down. And you just allow things to pass be you receive? No. We've invited the Lord. We ponder them. We think about them. We watch them. We go, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. I wonder what, I wonder what Scripture would say about that. Oh, I don't. and what's awesome is oftentimes my wife and I will leave a movie and we'll, we'll end up talking about the movie. Not just was it good, was it bad, but what do you think about that? Oh, that's frustrating. I didn't like that part. Why didn't you like it? We engage it. We allow God to be a part of that conversation. We allow ourselves to enter into this and discuss this and let him ex- guide your thinking experience so that you come to this last point, that you abstain from the evil and promote it. So if you're sitting here and you have an alcoholic beverage, you invited the Lord in, you're thanking him and you're blessing him, what's the, what, is the, what is the word telling you? Don't get drunk, period. You don't get drunk. And so there is a line. You abstain from the evil. You promote the good. If you find in your heart you're using it to cope, that you're addicted to tobacco, that you're addicted to alcohol, that you're addicted to these things because you have sought it to be your comfort, you have a different scripture to deal with. And that is that in 2 Corinthians, it says you shall have no other Lord but the Lord Jesus Christ over your life. Nothing should control you but our Lord. And the reality here is that we need to let the Word of God dwell in the midst of our experiences. We need to allow the Word of God to sit with us to help us know when to push back from evil, to not engage, so we do not cross that line. We also need to let the Word of God indwell in us so that if we have a weak conscience, that we don't violate our conscience and therefore sin against God, but that we obey our conscience, but we understand also it's our conscience and not a conviction that we must put on others. So we abstain from the evil in it, and we promote the good in the music. You can enjoy the beat. You can enjoy the rhythm. You can enjoy the melody. But be careful that you don't meditate on false thinking and allow it to engage your life. It's important that we re-engage. And actually, Christianity calls you to think more, not less. It calls you to engage more often and not less often. And so as I challenge you guys to do that, Paul's real point here then is that in everything that we do, we should bring the Lord in. He goes on, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. I think we should write that on our mirrors in American society today. None of us lives to himself. No one dies to himself. This isn't about us. If you're a Christian, it's not about us. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. That he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. And what he challenges us is that our lives are to be lives saturated with Christ, to follow him and to know him, to walk with him. That our lives need to be owned by God. So ask yourself, like, when you make your decisions, do you invite the Lord into those? Where's your time going? Your finances? Well, how, your decision-making processes? Your thoughts? If these, are, these will dwell around something. Who will they dwell around? What will they dwell around? Most often we'll find that we have our hearts and our minds dwelling around idols, other things other than God. Other people, other supports, other stuff like that. In fact, I don't have time to dive into that deeply. So we're actually going to... That's going to be our spiritual growth campaign coming up here in August. We're going to be going through something called Empty Promises. And we're going to be examining the idols of our lives and our hearts. And how we want to be satisfied with those things. And I think we should be challenged to try to be satisfied solely in God. To be following after Him. You know, do you remember being a kid? We got all these kids in the back right now. And I love kids. I love kids. You remember being that age, this tall? You didn't look up at your parents. You looked down at their feet, didn't you? You examined their legs. And wherever their legs went, you went. You were in Target, <laughs> just following the shoes. Your parent, you thought your parents were a pair of Nikes. You're like, this makes sense to me. I can, one kid told me in youth group, he's like, yeah, I remember doing that. I was at, uh, I was at Disneyland, i following my parents, and I'm just walking around, following my parents' shoes. And suddenly I'm like, oh, goofy. He looks up, looks away looks back down, parent's shoes, parent's shoes, parent's shoes, looks up, that's not my parents. (laughs) Totally lost, freaked out, followed the wrong pair of shoes. Guys, there are counterfeits in this world that want you to follow them. There's a culture out there that wants you to not think about what you're following. As Christians, we don't get that luxury. We are called to bind our freedom to follow whatever we want to follow Jesus Christ. Are we walking after his sandals? Are we looking at his feet? Are we walking after his shoes? It's time for us to be in the words that we know. So that our our calibration of our very conscience is right, and the Word of God dwells richly in us, so that we can make appropriate decisions. We can invite the Lord into whatever we do, knowing that He is. It is not sin. Asking Him to bless it and lead us forward, abstaining from evil and receiving the good. That's our challenge: that we be willing to be people of dwelling deeply in the Word of God. Now, how do we deal with each other? We deal with that next week. So, would you bow your heads with me? This morning, you may have been in here and hearing all these funny, weird debates that Christians get into, and you're going, like, I don't know what you people are all up about. But I just want to let you know the reason why we are so serious about this stuff is because we love our God so much. You see, our God's done something incredible, and He's done it for everyone who would like to receive it, and that is simply this. He set us free from something. In fact, you're, you're here at church and I, I realize you're probably here because in your freedom, you've done some wrongs. You've done some things that have, that you're here going, I don't know how to clean that up. I heard churches is a place to deal with sins and mistakes and messes I've made in my life. And I hate to tell you this, but the reality is there's is nothing you can do about the sins and the mistakes of your past on your own. God will one day call us and we will die and we will stand before him and he will judge us and because of our sins and our mistakes we will be sent to hell because of the wrongs and the evils that we've done. Because he is just and good and he cannot have sin in heaven. But because he is just and good and he loves us he sent a rescue mission out through his son Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to this earth to bear the sin of humanity our wrongs, our evils, the things that we can't deal with ourselves, he took on himself. And on the cross, when Jesus was crucified, God in heaven put our sins on him and punished Jesus for them so that if you would receive that gift and trust that God has dealt with your sin through Jesus, when you get to the judgment day, God will declare you not guilty and let you into heaven. And you don't clean up for it. You don't get yourself straight, all, all perfect. And cr- No. He offers you the gift, and then he wants to walk with you through the journey of that cleansing and transformation. But you have to trust. You have to believe. You have to have faith in God that he has forgiven you of your sins through Jesus Christ on the cross. And today, he offers you that gift to be received right now, that you could be forgiven of those sins that you know you've committed, those wrongs that you've done, and not face the judgment. And if that's where you're at, I want to give you an opportunity right now to do so. So you can know that freedom that God gives. And if you're there and you're ready to, just put your hand up. You're saying, that's me. I need the forgiveness of sins. And I need what Jesus Christ has offered. Maybe you're just coming back and you're saying, this is, this is this is something I haven't done in a long time, but I need to, I need to be right with God. If that's you, begin right here. Let's just start with a prayer where you're lifting up to God your sins. You're just acknowledging. It's called confession. Let God know the things that you've done wrong. And then as you've laid those out, I want you to imagine in your mind you're turning away from those sins. In an act of repentance, you're turning to God. Keep speaking to him and tell him, That you trust him. That you trust that Jesus bore your sins on the cross. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Let him know that you trust that Jesus has forgiven you. Then ask God to enter into your life and to lead you through the rest of it all the way into heaven. Father, for those who may be working through that prayer right now, talking to you and trying and and receiving your gift, I pray that you would indeed just calm their guilt and their conscience. Let them be affirmed that you have indeed forgiven them through, through Jesus Christ. And Lord, strengthen them and let them walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen.